The Making Sense podcast is recorded by Chaplin Investments Managing Partner Ed Butowski and Jordan McFarland. If you have any questions, please email them to info at chapwoodinvestments.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Making Sense with Ed Butowski podcast. Today, we're joined by a special guest, Perry Kaufman, who's been in his industry for about four decades now. Perry's been a founder and a CPA, and he also helps founders with their businesses as well. So if you're a founder and you found us today, a great episode to be here for. I'm going to give Perry a short intro here in a moment, but grateful for you joining us and today talking about small business strategy and in the ways that Perry analyzes small businesses and, and things he's seen over his time. And it's quite refreshing to hear someone with such um, industry experience talk about entrepreneurship, just because nowadays you'll see a lot of people who have uh, been a founder or who have been a business coach for two years try to talk about business strategy, and it, it just doesn't hit the same. So we're grateful to have you join us. As always, if you have any questions for the show, be sure to send them into info at Chapwood Investments. And I am going to switch mics and get into the intro. With a distinguished 40-year career in public accounting, Perry Kaufman has become a trusted strategic advisor for founder-led companies. Drawing from his dual perspective as both a seasoned entrepreneur and a CPA, Perry has established PSK Consulting in Dallas, Texas to address the specific challenges that founders encounter in the crucial stages of their company's evolution. His unique blend of personal and professional experiences position him as a valuable resource, offering insightful guidance to founders seeking success in their distinct journeys. To learn more about Perry, head to his website at perrysKaufman.com or reach out to us today and we'd be glad to make the introduction. Let's get to the show. Today, we're joined by a special guest, Perry Kaufman. And Perry, it's great to have you with us today directly after Thanksgiving. How was your holiday? Hey, thanks so much. Had a great holiday. I actually had the previous weekend, my son got married, so we had a big celebration and so now all we had to do is kind of recover, but we did a lot of eating. You know how that goes. Exactly. Ed, how are we doing today, sir? Doing great. I'm excited to have Perry uh, on. We Perry and I have known each other for about 40 years. Um, oh, I would never admit that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we both have the gray hair to show for it. That's uh, right. Better gray than gone, Ed. We're in that club, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, although, although it is getting a little thinner uh, these days. Uh, don't, don't go there with me. Okay. <laughs> Well, but, uh, the uh, trivia question I have for today, I actually got from Perry's website. So he's probably going to know the answer to this one, but I'm not sure if you will. And I'll, I'll give you, we'll call it 5 to 10% if you get close. So the question for today that I want to ask is how many businesses make it to the second generation? And then after that, how many businesses make it to the third generation? So that's uh, if, a, if a founder starts a business and then they want to pass it off to their son and then the son passes it to the grandfather. So let's start with passing it to second generation, what percentage makes it to the second generation? Uh, I would say 20%. 70. Okay. Well, somebody, uh, I, I forgot my source on this, but uh, 70%. Now, it didn't say successfully makes it to the second generation. <laughs> and seriously, just a side note, and then I'll let you can uh, continue, Jordan. Um, what that all that really means is that a successful founder has at least one kid that works in the business. Okay. That doesn't necessarily mean they have a successful second generation, but I'll let you continue. Hmm. Okay. So then Ed, on the, if, if it's 70 for second generation, what do you think third generation would be percentage wise? Uh, 
I'm going to say 30%. That's closer. Third, third generation has it at 12%. Oh, wow. There's a big drop off. Oh, yeah. No question. Well, that, that kind of brings us to PSK Consulting. Um, so, you know, Perry, you've been in the business world, you know, for, you know, four decades. Uh, and you still have more enthusiasm and more energy than most people do who've been in the business world for 10 years. Uh, so I applaud you for that. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So over those four decades, why don't you take us through a little bit of the chronology on how you got to PSK Consulting and what is PSK <clears throat> Consulting's primary focus? Well, I'll get to that focus, but uh, yeah, let me give you a little background. I'll try to uh, speed you through it. You know, when I got a, went to college, all I knew was I had no family business or no uh, likely landing spot. I needed to figure out what to do with my life. So I drifted into the business school and then uh, determined at the time that the most valuable uh, degree was accounting, and I drifted into accounting. Uh, so I was pretty analytical mind. So I did well in that and went to work for a big four firm, uh, KPMG, when I got out. But what I quickly learned was that um, I could do uh, a lot of accounting and I could learn a lot of the technical stuff. I worked on the tax side, um, but I was also uh, I consider myself a, a people person, pretty good communicator, like to listen to people as well. Um, so I, I quickly kind of segued into really consulting with these private companies and uh, oftentimes the founders that owned and started these companies. And as I built my experience and knowledge over the years and tapped into, you know, what, again, what I call my people skills, um, I got into this position where I could really give them some guidance in areas that they needed help. And the profile of most founders are they know how to do something really well, or they have a real strong technical capability, you know, when we got to the technology age. Um, and they could, you know, build a business, start a business, build a business, uh, create a, a really nice livelihood more often than not. But at some point, they tipped over into the organization getting to be the size where their skill set wasn't quite as well suited for the company in terms of leadership, more sophisticated financial decision making, um, expansion, uh, delegation, things like that. So um, I uh, was fortunate enough, back to my public accounting, uh, to do a lot of work with that profile client, but also ultimately uh, both started my own practice, merged with a large local firm by the name of Travis Wolf, uh, took on the role of managing partner there, and ultimately merged the Travis Wolf firm with a national firm. So I found myself in a, a lot of leadership positions. Uh, I agreed to lead the uh, national practice firm in Eno in Texas for five years, which I did. But when I started uh, successfully transitioning that responsibility to my successor, uh, I started thinking about what next. And uh, I'll thank you, Ed, for recognizing my passion uh, that it continues to be pretty strong in the business world. And I landed on the fact that what I enjoyed most was working with this uh, founder-led company profile and oftentimes helping them navigate a transition that included 
skill sets that they they really didn't have. And uh, oftentimes that led them to a monetization transaction if they couldn't recruit and assimilate professional management when the company got to the size that was needed. Um, and so that was really the birth of uh, PSK Consulting. I needed to go kind of do that out of the public accounting world so I didn't really have to do all the other stuff in public accounting that one has to do. Um, so hopefully that gives you a little visual of my track. Absolutely. And and the idea here is that you know, there's lots of big consulting firms that look for huge contracts. You're really focused on the smaller businesses that don't know how to transition and that could use a consultant. Uh, and it's not so much accounting work. It's more of personnel and strategy and, and making sure that people are focused on what brings them the best returns for their time. Yes, that's correct. The key word really is strategy. It's not, you know, like you say, accounting. Uh, I've, you know, done enough of that in my lifetime. Uh, it's really um, trying to address issues such as succession planning, such as uh, building effective leadership teams within a growing organization, attracting really professionalized talent that is needed as a company can uh, scale in the marketplace. Um, and again, I go back to the fact that these founders, the successful ones, and those are really all who I work with, they're already successful. It's not a question of can they make it. It's a matter of where do they go from here. And they're, again, very bright, uh, smart people, but they really don't understand the inflection point that they've hit. And they need just uh, somebody to explain it to them. Again, I, I rely on communication skills a lot, uh, coupled with my uh, experience and knowledge, and help help them understand what the options are. And also, there's a fair dose of psychology in, with these founders, as mm -hmm. Ed, I'm sure you've seen over the years. Um, they have to be strong-willed to get where they have to be, where they've gotten but can they effectively bring in and empower top talent to help carry the business forward? And do they have the true uh, leadership skills for a larger organization? Um, and those sometimes are blind spots. Yeah, I mean, something unknown about my industry is that the majority of people leave as clients, not because of performance on portfolios, but because of operational issues and communication. And that's probably something, you know, that you're able to bring to an organization is a different view than what they might think is relevant and important. Um, and you're able to bring, you know, some other view to them that, um, that they hadn't thought about, uh, that could expand their business or maintain, uh, their standing. Uh, so yeah, so I, yeah, just real quick to emphasize that the words I use to describe that, I'm glad you keyed on that, Ed, is really providing an unbiased and objective perspective on their circumstance. I, I have no dog in the fight. I'm being just as honest as I can be based upon a lot of it, uh, what I've seen and experienced. So what is a typical client, you know, as you're starting PSA consulting right. and people are watching this by now, you know, you probably have grown, you know, the business really nicely. What is the ideal client for you size wise and need wise? 
Yeah. So uh, usually they have annual revenues in the range of 20 to 100 million. They have what I call, uh, they've clearly proven their business model. This is not a survivability test. This is, uh, you've built a company uh, to the point where you, uh, the founder has got a, a very nice livelihood. They are doing a lot of things right. And they have opportunity to what I call really scale the business beyond that, you know, lifestyle company business. And um, the types of things that I encounter, and I mentioned a few earlier, is um, to de-risk the company from too much dependence upon them. Okay, if if they are hit by a bus, is the company going to be damaged, you know, beyond repair or not? Uh, do they want to transition out of the business? Some do, some don't. And they do they have successive uh, uh, or capable uh, successors behind them? Another thing I, I mentioned earlier is, do they have a leadership team in the different key areas of the business that um, can function at a high level if that, that founder is not there? Um and do they collaborate? Do they work together as a team? One of my, uh, one of some content that I'm really a big believer in is uh, a book by the name of The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Pat Lencioni uh, is the author. And I won't go into it today, but it's, it's really all designed to make sure that you have effective leadership or effective teams, in this case, business leaders. Um, really aligned and taking the, com- the company forward. I love that book and, and Pat Lencioni yeah. as well. And kind of segueing off that, I know um, on the website, you mentioned the four stages of business and, and oftentimes these founders are seeing the greatest volatility come stage three. So um, if you wouldn't mind, I would really appreciate it if you could walk us through kind of the four stages and why stage three, so such, you know, uh, massive amounts of volatility coming in. Yeah. So um the, the, the predictable stages include the first one everybody's heard of, startup. But what is, what is it about startup that's noteworthy? I would say that, first of all, you've got to have a founder who has the passion for what it is they believe the market needs. So, again, they have some technical expertise or they have some real experience or they have a presence in an industry. But then they also have to have the passion and the, I guess, um, the real guts, so to speak, to go out there and put a business together. Um, that's both organizationally, startup, create viability. The stage two is where you prove the business model, that it is viable, that it is here for the, for the foreseeable future. And there's no specific way to define that. However, in my own mind, I'm suggesting if a company can perform such that it provides six consecutive quarters of profitability at industry standards on an upward trajectory trend, okay? Until you do that, I'm not sure you have really proven viability. And I'll pause there for a second because I made all that up. I don't know if either of you had reaction to that. 
sound good, bad, or indifferent? Well, I'm just curious. Uh, so in terms of stage two, I know we always, as investors, talk about a moat, right? Something that differentiates you to the point that yeah. your competition can't just come in, copy and paste, and, and then you have some trouble on your hands. Do you see a moat being kind of one of those tangible pieces of stage two that's very important? Yes, and that's why um, that trend of growth and profitability at industry standards, whatever their industry is, is important. And I talk to a lot of companies about um, their value proposition. You know, what is your value proposition? And oftentimes I hear, you know, we're the best at. Uh, okay, well, you need to have something a little bit more uh, clarifying than that. And um, so your point is that differentiator, that moat that you can build around the company uh, often is missing when they're just trying to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. So I really feel like it's the toward the back end of stage two where they become um, significant enough to be on their competitors' radar, particularly the big competitors. So now they're challenged to figure out, can they be successful even when a proven competitor is competing against them? And that's oftentimes there has to be a conversation about how you articulate uh, your um, differentiated um, advantage. So, so when you so talk that, about, yeah, I'm sorry, when you talk about yeah. quarter over quarter growth, is there a certain percentage of growth that you look for? Well, it's, uh, it's hard to say because uh, different companies can grow at different paces. Uh, but I would say it's easily double digit. And oftentimes, as you know, at earlier stage companies can post some really high percentage growth, 25, 30% or more quarter to quarter. So I'm, I'm less about you got to hit this growth rate as I am that it is on a positive upward trajectory and at least double digit, at least. Okay. So stage three. So stage three, I, I have come to kind of bifurcate. Um, I didn't uh, list it that way, but the first half of stage three is where you really get significant continued growth. And now we're talking years, not quarters. And you begin to build uh, bottom line results, as I mentioned earlier, where the founder is uh, often handsomely rewarded. Okay. And they like uh, the things that they're doing. They like the uh, trajectory they're on. They're able to bring business to the bottom line uh, or profits to the bottom line that are handsome in many cases. That's what I'll, I'll call really the, uh, sustain the sustainable growth trajectory. The difference, though, to scaling is scaling is where you can really uh, leverage um, either your technology or your brand that you've built, or you can have cap access to capital that can bring some enhancements, whether it be technological branding or otherwise, or purchasing power, so to speak. Um, anything that will really begin to be able to scale, I'll, I'll define it for this conversation, scaling is hypergrowth. And that's where the, the founder needs to be 
uh, okay with building this professional management team. And the key areas are, of course, financial, not only uh, the business being sound financial, but having the internal financial capabilities to sustain scalability, have analytics capability, to really be able to deliver timely, accurate information for better business decision-making to enable that scaling. So that's one of the leaders you need. Of course, you need um, the uh, marketing leader. You, you've got to have somebody who can be out in the marketplace, who's constantly getting feedback from their customer base, um, understanding why they do business with you, how to continue to expand and grow. Uh, so that's a second leader. Another one is just operational. you got to have that COO type level, regardless of what you call them, to make sure that as you continue to grow, you're hitting margins and bottom line results that are competitive in the industry. If you are, you know, bringing uh, nice dollars to the bottom line, but they're one half of the percentages that the industry generally gets, then there's something awry there, and there's something that needs attention to be fixed. The the next leader that's really critically important, and I don't mean to leave it as the last one is your people, chief people officer is, is the term I like to use. Somebody that not only makes sure that your HR function is compliant and, and functioning properly, but is really building, supporting, and enhancing the culture to retain top talent. So as I sit here and, and hear this, it's really any industry that your talent can be applied to. There's not a specific exactly. industry. So for people watching this, I mm-hmm. I just want people to know that it could be a pharmaceutical maker to a real estate firm to a financial services firm. Um, yes. It could be any, any group where the strategy, you go in and analyze the strategy and you put together a report you told me about. Right. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So in, in order to really help companies Uh, I have to do an initial assessment. And this is not a deep dive, but I look at these four areas that I mentioned. They're financial, both position and capabilities, their operational performance, their uh, cultural uh, positioning, which I do primarily by interviews and surveying, and um, what they, and their customer feedback. What do they know about their customers and why they do business with them? And candidly, I give them feedback to identify, and I do it largely in a grade A through F, to let them know how, in my opinion, based upon my experience, they're performing in these areas. And that tells me where they may need some help um, and or be have to make some changes. And the report itself is, is not elaborate. It's a handful of pages. It's got some commentary and recommendations. Um, And then it's a matter of if I can either directly or put them in touch with another external resource that can help them in an area where they might have some weakness. Hmm. Well, this has been very enlightening. I I try to keep these to about 30 minutes. Um, Sure. 
So is, you know, as, as we end here, is there any last comment that you have that you want people to, to take away from this? Yeah, it's just that I want them to know that um, oftentimes they have blind spots. I would encourage them to go to my website. There's a little questionnaire they can voluntarily uh, fill out and respond to, and we can give them a little feedback about where they are on the scale on, you know, in their life cycle and whether or not they're suitable or positioned to continue to be successful. Um, and, um, you know, and I'm very agnostic on uh, industry as you suggested. So happy to, happy to visit with anybody and uh, see if there's something I can do to help. Well, and I, would, I uh, second that I thought Perry, your website's very um, informative as I use the, the, for the trivia question today, I think it's very helpful just to yeah. kind of come in and, and be able to see for someone just to get a feel for what they even need to be looking for. Cause a lot of times I feel like, you know, founders and people that we speak with, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know at the end of the day. So it's definitely helpful to uh, give that a look for that reason also. Yeah. And I'll, I just emphasize if, and you guys, if you have show notes, you can put it in there. The website is Perry S because both PSK and, and there is another uh, Perry Kaufman out there, believe it or not. I was shocked that it uh, can be confusing. So PerrySKaufman.com will get you to the website. Perfect. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that you said that I never thought about was asking my clients why they do business with me. It, it's obviously yeah. not because I'm so good looking, um, but mm. it's, it's, uh, it, it is a good question. I think we all are a little fearful of asking why people do business with us. So just that alone would be helpful to have a third party do it. Um, But, you know, I wanted to do this because I think the world of you and, and I think anybody could really benefit from having a conversation with you. It uh, it's, it's, you know, again, you're not looking for fortune 500 companies, but you're looking for, you know, small businesses that, and there's a lot of small businesses that are looking to transition. Uh, I really encourage everybody to reach out uh, to Perry uh, if you're in that position and, uh, you know, have a conversation with Perry. So thank you very thank much. You, Ed. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, Ed. Jordan. Thanks so much great for the time, Perry. Great to see you guys. Take care. Bye. The Making Sense podcast is recorded by Chaplin Investments Managing Partner, Ed Butowski and Jordan McFarland. If you have any questions, please email them to info at chopwoodinvestments.com. This podcast contains general information that may not be suitable for everyone. The information contained herein should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security.